I want to encourage you to be the people of God who love God's word. Ready? Here we go. Right at the beginning, look at me. You can turn to Jude and look at me at the same time because all you got to do is go to the end of the Bible, hang a right, and go back one book, you're there. So look at me while I'm telling you this. Is the Bible here in your life or here? Is the authority of the word of God lifted up in your life or is it down here where your opinion and my opinion actually reigns over God's? Because that's what we're seeing as we work through the book of Jude is this issue of authority time and time again. And false teaching, and I hope you're listening to these sermons because what I'm really wanting to do tonight and today included is I really wanting to open your eyes to how do you spot false teaching? Because it works like a cancer in the body. Now you heard that, right? I, the C word is one of my most dreaded words. My father died of cancer and ever since he died of cancer, number one, I don't really like any movie at all that depicts real death. I just don't, I just don't even like it. I don't even like to watch them anymore. I don't like to read stuff that depicts real death. It's just too serious since my dad died. I don't even like to make joke or jokes or be entertained by it. But there's another thing, um, in that since my dad died of cancer, the C word has reigned very, very large in my life. And when some people in our church, and we've got people in our church right now who are battling cancer, and when they battle cancer, when they find out that they've got cancer, believe me, it hits me, it hits me hard, but that's the way that false teaching works. It spreads like a cancer in the body of Christ. And listen, the body of Christ, here's teaching number one, the body of Christ, is the church. You and I, we are the body of Christ. Christian brother and sister, if you've been called out of the world and you've been put into God's kingdom, you are put into his body of which he is the head. We are his feet, his mouths, his hands. We are the living, reconciling agents. We go out into the world as, amb- as, a, as his ambassadors. We're the body. He's the head. We're the church. And cancer from false teaching, it spreads, it progresses diffuses through the church and it's aggressive but the word of God now listen this is the this is the part that I want to get you hopefully engaged in right at the beginning the word of God functions like x-ray pictures and I don't know if you've ever had an MRI or if you've ever had x-rays done and the doctors come up and he's put those x-rays on that backlit wall and you begin to see what he points out to you. Listen, the word of God functions like x-ray pictures all around the wall and it begins, and Jude's going to begin showing us, hey, this is what false teaching looks like. If you want to be able to be really good at spotting false teaching, well, listen, I'm going to give you four x-rays and they're going to be put on the wall wall and you're going to be able to start to discern and recognize when you hear or see false teaching. Now, you want to know something interesting about Jude is that the more he writes, the angrier he gets. The more he writes, the angrier he gets. He is really going to be dropping a lot of angry insults, a lot of angry terminology, even in these two little verses we're looking at today, verses 12 and 13. He's an angry 
preacher. He's an angry apostle. Now listen, some of us don't like angry preachers. One of these weeks, I might show you this video. I keep wanting to every week. I run out of time. I mean, there's an inappropriate anger that pastors can give when they just drop the hammer on their church. I don't think I've ever done that. I hope I never do that. There's anger, though, as a response to unrighteousness that pastors ought to have. And you ought to have when you encounter sin. Well, Jude is angry. And it's going to come through his tone. It's going to come through the words. And the very first x-ray that he puts on the wall, it's going to be this. He's saying this to the people in these churches. You've got a lot of dangerous spots in your church. Remember, cancer comes through false teaching and it spreads aggressively. These false teachers are dangerous spots in the body of Christ. I want you to watch this video, see if you can begin to discern false teaching. That I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to stand up in faith and I'm going to sow... An Isaiah 54.17 seed of $54.17. Let's go to the phone. Do it right now. Go to the phone. Right now. This is a moment of faith that may never, ever, ever be repeated again. It's Rod Parsley. He's trying to preach on Isaiah 54.17. No weapon formed against you can prevail, can prosper. And so he selected that text and said, why not? Make a seed offering and in word of faith language, that means if you want God to answer your need or your prayer or your request, then you've got to deposit in the form of usually a cash gift. And if you want no weapon to be formed against you that can prosper, then send your $54.17 in. That's dangerous spots in the body of Christ. Now, let me say one more thing about the body of Christ. Now, you ready? Pastor Matthew is awesome. You know what? We love Cornerstone. I love this church. But we are just a little dot in the kingdom of God that makes up the church. We're just one Campus, we are one local expression of the church. The church is made up of all people whom God has taken out of the world and put into his kingdom. All of those bodies, all of those congregations, all of those worshiping peoples who worship God through Jesus Christ, they make up the church. And even though Rod Parsley's probably, well, not even probably, I can guarantee you he's never going to speak at this church. But he's speaking in the church. He's speaking in the church around America and around the world. And Jude says this, and let's look together at verse 12. They are blemishes on your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, looking after themselves. Now, you might have a translation that uses the word blemishes or spots or NASB, New American Standard, uh, reefs, hidden reefs. What's the right answer? Listen, our English language is evolving. Words like hinky, which I've heard twice this week, I haven't heard for years, were never said 30 years ago. New words are put into the Urban Dictionary and make it into the mainstream. Words evolve and words that mean something specific today and 30 years are going to mean something different. Well, the Greek language 
was similar. The New Testament's written mainly from the Greek language, and that was an evolving language too. You've got the Greek that the, that the New Testament written in. Listen, it's like urban Greek. It's the country Greek. It's the Greek that the modern person who was uneducated spoke. That's what the New Testament's written from. But there's classic Greek. Socrates. And all of those philosophers would wax eloquent in classical Greek. There's even divisions within the Greek language. So here we've got this word spots or blemishes or hidden reefs. And what happened was early on in the use of that word, it, be, it was used for rocks that would lay right below, lie right below the surface of the water and captains of the boats would have to know they're there because if their boat struck it, it would rip the keel out of the bottom of the boat. But it began to develop. Now listen, it began to develop, ladies, you're going to like this, to mean the spots that would be on opal stones. Or the spots that would come when you age on your skin. It's the same word. So you can use this word as spots, blemishes, or hidden reefs because they all, they all apply. And what Jude is saying here is that these false teachers, listen, let's take both of them. They're uglifying. They're making the church ugly. They're threatening the, the safety and the security of the church. And this is what false teaching does. It's a blemish on the body of Christ. And it's a threat. Listen, this is why we're doing this series. This is why I'm calling out people by names. I'm trying to disseminate. I'm trying to, I'm trying to really, um, to really parse between bad teaching and false teaching. And when I've used examples from both, I've been able to really identify this is just not good teaching, but this is heretical teaching, making people buy what they want God to give you. That's heresy. And they were blemishes, look at verse 12, on their love feasts or agape feasts, agape Greek for love, which, by the way, these are pretty cool. We should do these more often. Down south, every Wednesday night, Denise and I, when we got married, we went to Old Forest Road Baptist Church. And every Wednesday night, there was a prayer service, which was really more of another opportunity for the preacher to preach. But before that was a potluck dinner, and we all brought something to share. That's what the agape, that's what the love feast is. It's a potluck dinner that everybody brought food to in order to share with other people because they wanted to be one body, they wanted to be unified, they wanted to love one another. Now listen, a lot of the people in these churches were former or were were slaves, in this meal that they're about to eat at this love feast, listen, it was often the best meal they're going to get that week. And what they're doing is that they're eating this common meal, they're fostering love and they're fostering unity, and then afterwards, listen, this is the best part of it, afterwards they're celebrating together communion. Communion was always part of the love feast. And what should have been a wonderful time together instead was becoming a time for divisive opportunities for false teachers to introduce their immoralities, their false doctrines. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. 
I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. Why? Look at verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Here's what they're doing. They're ungodly people. They're perverting the grace of our God into sensuality. They're denying our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They're bringing these doctrines into the love feast. They're bringing these immoralities into the love feast. Now listen, when you take communion... You can take it in a right way or you can take it in a wrong way. Paul says some of you are taking it in the wrong way and that's why some of you are sick and dying. Now you don't think that ended, do you, with the with the closing of the Bible. When the Bible was written, all of a sudden that warning expired. That warning's still going. We've got to be careful that we recognize Jesus when we're taking communion, that we're looking inward to see if our devotion to him is growing, to know if we're at peace with other people. Listen, if if you're not at peace with somebody and you've not tried to reconcile, then don't take communion. Let communion be your motivation to go seek them out and to make it right. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men, the Bible says. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 11, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself without discerning other people in the church, without discerning, am I believing the faith? Am I living in the faith? Do I love the people in this church? Is there anything I have against anybody in this church, whether that's your spouse, your kids, your your neighbor in the pew? Listen, you've got to discern the body and you've got to recognize Jesus that he died on the cross to provide the only way to the Father, the only way to be saved. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. You know what they did in 397 AD? The church called the, at the, at a a council called the Council of Catharge ended the love feast. They officially ended it because it was being so abused by these false teachers. They could not get a grip on this love feast, so they just said, forget it, stop having them. Well, these false teachers, they feasted without fear, look what it says, without fear, meaning without a fear of God, there's spots, there's submerged rocks, and the church is in danger of being ripped apart by them. And Jude's pointing to these spots and he's saying, look, these false teachers, here's what they do. They're looking after themselves. Verse 12, you see that? They're looking after themselves. Literally, that means they're shepherding themselves. Means they didn't care about the people in the church. They only cared about the people who could make their lives better. By the way, this is one of the ways that you ought to be evaluating me. And you ought to be evaluating Pastor Matthew, Pastor Tim, your elders, your leaders. Listen, do we shepherd ourselves? Do we only care about ourselves? Do we care about, care about you? That's, that is a legitimate way for you to evaluate whether I'm ministering and shepherding well. And if I'm not, then you ought to come and lovingly correct me. 
Well, this is what Jude's saying. They don't care about the people. They're like Ezekiel. They're like the people where God himself said, look on the screens, my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and they've not fed my sheep. Behold, I am against the shepherds. It's not a good position for God to say, I'm against the shepherds. You don't want to be on the receiving end of that. It's the same with these false teachers. They didn't care about God's people. They cared about themselves. I want you to listen to this television evangelist named Mike Murdoch. Pretty quick clip. Let me see if you hear what I'm hearing in this clip. There is a widow who is watching Daystar, watching us right now. And you're sitting there and your thoughts are, wow. I wish I was young again, and I wish I had a business, but I'm on a fixed income, and I don't know where I would get the $58. That's what makes it faith. That's what makes it faith. You caught that he said there's a widow, right? Now listen, of course what they're doing is leveraging the widow and her mites that she put into the offering. That, that story that Jesus referenced was not to honor the widow so much for her sacrificial giving. It was to bring out the exploitation of the Jewish religious leaders and that they're giving with all of this display. And here's this quiet, faithful woman of God. You've got to take that in the whole context. The Bible says you cannot put a burden on the widow. That's illegal against the law of God. Here he's exploiting the widow. This is what spots in the church do. And the Apostle Paul could hardly have been more modern when he wrote, and I put this in the New Living Translation. He said, you put up with it when someone enslaves you, takes everything you have, takes advantage of you, takes control of everything, and slaps you in the face. He's speaking of those exploiters in the church. Listen, how do you spot, how do you discern false teaching Are they shepherding themselves? Are they exploiting for their gain? Or are they shepherding the people of God? Well, the second x-ray, so he puts one up, dangerous spots in the church. The second x-ray he puts up is that these false teachers give deceptive promises. If you've ever been sick, you ever had cancer, then you'll know you get all sorts of material being sent to you in the mail. Take this, it's the latest cure, buy these supplements, try this therapy, this works in 22% of the case. Listen, you're going to get bombarded with promises of cures. Well, look what Jude says. They're waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead uprooted. Remember, strong language from Jude. I want you to think like a Jew for a moment. Let me just ask this before I even say this. How many of us are farmers full time? Okay. We do have one. She works on an organic farm. Not too many of us. So agrarian lifestyles are a little difficult to us because 
the extent of a lot of our farming is the produce section of Giants or Wegmans, right? So you've got to think like an agrarian person who needed life-giving water. And when these clouds would come in and the ground is cracking, it says in the Old Testament, sometimes in drought, you can't even break the ground with their iron plows. It would become as hard as metal. And when that ground begins to crack and you can't break it and you're praying, Lord, give us rain so that these seeds can die and sprout and grow and feed. And you begin to pray and you begin to pray and all of a sudden you get... You get a clouds, you get clouds that are starting to appear in the sky and all of a sudden your heart begins to anticipate, God, you're answering the prayer and the clouds come over your head and then they pass without dropping even a drop of moisture. You gotta think like a Jew, they're agrarians, most of them. Waterless clouds were nobody's friends. We think waterless clouds, great. My wedding's not going to be rained on. Our picnic's not going to get rained out. You got to think like a Jew. That's a bad thing to have a waterless cloud. And so these are, these are metaphors of desperate need. You're putting all of your spring and all of your summer into trimming your fruit trees, which are going to provide food for your animal. Think like an agrarian Jew. And all of a sudden you get to the end of August and instead of fruit, there are dead dormant branches. These are metaphors that Jude is giving of desperate needs that are not being met. And the souls of the people of God are drying up and they're in danger. I want to show you an example of a waterless cloud of a desperate person whose needs were not getting met from deceptive promises. Watch this. I hear the Lord saying that the miracles that you've been standing in the gap waiting for, that the miracles is on its way right now. And it's healing your body right now. I want you to shake those arms right now and move those elbows right now. Because God is healing you who right now did you feel that no I didn't tell me how you feel now I I still feel pain but the pain is leaving out right now I mean here's a guy that calls in you heard him crying right I mean he so hoped that Pastor Kearney Thomas was going to heal him and he calls in, he, now listen, he asked him, I didn't, part, I didn't put this part of the clip in, did you get your handkerchief? You saw him holding one, right? You send your gift in, he sends you a handkerchief, you hold that, and you'll receive the promises of God for healing. And the guy calls in, and Kearney speaks tongues over him, and he brings down the anointing of God, and the guy is crying because he cannot move his arms, which are racked in pain. There are deceptive promises. How do you know if it's a false teacher? One of them is this. It's not just the first point, whether there's blemishes, and whether they're bringing immorality and false doctrine. The second point is, are they making you promises that God's not going to deliver? This is the way out. Listen, I'm going to give you the way out that word 
faith like Thomas Kearney and so many others have. It's always this one. There's a few and they cluster under one. You didn't receive your healing because number one, what? You didn't have enough faith. Or there's unconfessed sin in your life. Listen, or your financial gift was not enough. It's the way they operate. Is it God's plan to always heal? Does God ever bring sickness or birth defects? Listen to John Hagee's opinion on this. So let me tell you, sickness comes from the devil. And when you walk into a hospital room and your friend is there, a member of your family is there, you have the power to say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke that disease. And the God of heaven will heal that disease when you are right with God in heaven. Did you get that disclaimer? Did you get that disclaimer at the end? When you are what? So if you did not get what you wanted or your prayer did not heal that sick person in the hospital, then the problem is you're not right with God. But the devil brings sickness and disease is what he says, right? Well, let's bring that back to the word of God. Listen to Exodus 4. The Lord said to him, who has, so listen, who's speaking? God speaking. Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? John Hagee says, no, it's the devil that brings birth defects and diseases and sickness. God's saying there's times when he decides who's going to be mute and deaf or hearing and seeing. If anyone had righteous Enough righteousness with God to heal all of his friends. Wouldn't you think the Apostle Paul might have ranked pretty highly on that? He writes, Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. He didn't even heal Trophimus. This was a friend. This was a partner in ministry. He needed this person in his life to support his ministry. He left him sick at Miletus. Remember when Timothy was sick and Paul didn't tell him to go see a faith healer? He said, quote, no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Listen, can God heal? There are people in the church, remember the church at large, there are people in the church that no, God doesn't do that anymore. I think that's wrong. Can God heal? Certainly God can heal. Does God give the apostolic gift of healing to where whoever you pray for will no doubt be healed like it was with Peter and John and Paul? No, no longer. That ended with the apostles. Does he give people the power to pray for healing and the gift of healing? And and if it aligns with God's will, then yes, they are healed. He certainly does. But when you get to these false teachers, I, my, my question has always been this. Listen, if you've got the apostolic gift of healing, why aren't you going to the hospitals? Why aren't you going to people instead of making them come to you and put money in a plate? Well, the answer is because they've got to show faith. Well, you know what? Jesus healed the dead son of a widow. 
And I'm pretty sure a dead son has no faith. And Jesus said, because he had compassion, I'm going to raise your son to life. And he did and gave him back to his mother. Faith is not always the vehicle for God's power to be released. There's a lot of times in the scripture, nobody had faith. Or they showed the lack of faith. And Jesus still worked on their behalf. See, these false teachers, Jude's writing, they offer all of these promises and they're deceptive promises. And look what it says. They are twice dead uprooted. That's a frightening metaphor. In other words, it's saying this. These false teachers were not bearing spiritual fruit. And they're not offering the living water of Jesus Christ. You know what God's going to do? He's going to reach down like he would reach down for a weed. And he is going to pluck them, roots of all. And he's going to jettison them out of the church. And in a minute, you're going to see out into eternal forever darkness. Then Jude puts another x-ray on the wall and he says, the third x-ray, how do you spot false teachers? Listen, you've got to look at their consciences. They've got defiled consciences. They're not only dangerous spots, they not only offer deceptive promises, they have defiled consciences. Look what he says. They're wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Anybody ever been in the Dead Sea? Got one? Any more? The Dead Sea is unique because of the saline content. If you've got a piece of wood that's drifting in the Dead Sea, it will strip the wood of its bark, dissolves it over a period of time until it's gleaming black and almost bone white. But all of that dissolving bark permeates the water and when they get these storms in the Dead Sea and the waves begin really crashing, all of a sudden you'll see a most ugly sight on the shore of the Dead Sea. You see all of this blackened, foamy content. And this is the picture that Jude's giving of these false teachers. They are wild waves of the sea, meaning they're brash and they're bold and they whip the people into a frenzy of worship and activity, but they end up leaving you dried out and stripped of life pollution on the shoreline after a storm. Look what verse 16 is going to tell you. Can you look ahead at three verses? It's going to say they're loud mouth boasters. That's what he's meaning. They're wild waves of the sea. They're, they're loud mouth boasters. They're boasting of the, what they're going to do for you. See, proud and arrogant speech, listen, you've got to be able to discern this. When you hear somebody preaching and teaching in a proud and arrogant way, they're not being sent by God through humility. They're boasting wildly about themselves. You've got one of the core beliefs of the word faith movement working itself now into the new apostolic reformation. One of the core beliefs is this, is called positive confession. It used to be, when I was younger, name it, claim it. Now it's called positive confession. And what positive confession is, is that you have the power to speak. 
You have the power to speak when you get into this substance of faith. They really believe that there, there is all of these, these buckets, they'll describe it like that, buckets of faith, this substance that God himself had to incorporate, God himself had to dip into this bucket of faith, and then he spoke creation into existence, positive confession. So we, because we are in Christ, listen, the extreme of them say, because you are God's, You've got the power to be able to dip into this substance called faith and to be able to speak things. And if you speak negativity into your life, you're going to create negative things happening in your life. But if you speak positive things, then you're going to create, listen, your best life now. And that literally underpins Joel Osteen's book. And his doctrine. You're going to hear it from Gloria Copeland. Watch this. One day, I was in the airplane in the back, and my little brother was in the back with me, and Ken was up front flying. And we were not in the weather, because we don't fly bad weather. But we, we could see the weather over here. And I looked out the window, and that tornado came down just like this, down toward the ground. And Ken said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You get back up there. So this is how I learned how to talk to tornadoes. I saw this. And that tornado went, woo, 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 woo. Even while I was watching it, my little brother was not a devout Christian at that time, and that was really good for him to see. So you're the weatherman. You get out there, or the weather woman, whichever it is, and you talk to that thing, and you tell it, you're not coming here. I command you to dissipate. And you get back up there in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Now, that's positive confession. That's what they're teaching. But I will tell you this. It was in, I think, 1989 or somewhere around there, the Hurricane, Hurricane Hugo came and it struck the, um, the shoreline of the East Coast. And I remember we had somebody in a Bible study that was leading, a young lady, and she was saying, please be praying for my family. We own a home on the beach right in the epicenter, right in the track of that storm. And we prayed that night. All of us prayed and every house on either side of their, their, their home was flattened by that storm and their home literally unscathed. Now, was it because of our substance of faith, positive confession? No, God listens to your prayers. Not because you've got this substance of faith, not because you can speak and create, because you can ask and He can move. He's a God that listens to us, not a God that says, I've given you creative power, and so by your words, you can do what I do. Rejoice always, Paul said. Pray without ceasing and everything. Give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Very strong language by the Apostle Paul. You've got to discern. You've got to examine everything carefully. You hold on to what is good. You don't just have this mindset. Oh, you've, you brought to me a word from the Lord. Forget it. That's of the devil. That's not the mindset that God is teaching us to have. You're bringing me a word of the Lord. Then I'm going to examine it. I'm going to discern it. I'm going to discern your life. And I'm going to bring it against the word of God and see what it's says against the word of God because God's not going to give you any new revelation. He's only going to confirm to you what he's already written clearly in the word of God. 
But when you don't discern and you don't examine, then what they what happens is these false teachers who have a defiled conscience, whose shame is being washed up on the shore. Listen, they exploit and they do horrific damage. Benny Hinn prayed over a family, so the story goes, who had some children, and he said to her, you're going to have another child. And she said, we're done. And Benny Hinn says, no, you're going to have another child, and God's going to raise him up, and he's going to be a prophet for the Lord. And this boy named Manasseh was born, and at three years old, he began to prophesy. I'm going to show you a clip from him. You've got to discern what he is doing and watch what he is saying. Watch this. Now that fellowship feet like that, like this, like God was getting you ready for a, a wedding or something. Something's going to happen in your home and family. Something's going to happen for you around relationships. And God says to get ready because God's going to put honor on you. As you bathe in that, God's giving you favor in relationships and those emotions are going down the drain saith the spirit of the living God Amen. thank you Jesus so what I didn't set up very well for you is this that soap he says is made from the river Jordan and as long as you come up and I don't know if you saw it, it was right at the very beginning of that clip you got to hand your gift your seed offering now listen, I'm, I'm telling you, every one of these examples, I'm not yet made an exception. Every one of them are coming from people who have massive audiences. If this is a little 20 or 30 person church, I'm not wasting my time and I'm not wasting your time. These are massive audiences. These are people leading people astray. You come up with your seed gift. You get a bar of soap wrapped in anointed tissue paper and you begin to bathe with that soap and God begins working his miracles in your life. Whatever you want, he's a Coke machine. You put your seed offering in and out pops your request. Listen, they have no conscience. Can you imagine this poor woman doubled over, sobbing and weeping, believing that she's going to bathe with this soap and her emotional problems are going to wash down the drain. That is about as defiled of a conscience as you can get. And what is their shame that is being cast up like foam? Listen, the word shame in the Greek here means plural. It refers to their greed, their immorality, their control, their lies, their false preaching, and all other forms of spiritual deception. You will begin to see it. It will froth to the surface if you are discerning over time. And you can't be surprised when it's coming. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, 1 Timothy 4, some will depart from the faith and devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Listen, this is happening all around our country. I'm hoping your eyes are being opened in this series of Jude. I had no idea that there were this many false teachers out there. I had no idea there were many, this many hundreds of thousands of people worshiping under evangelical Christianity, following after a man or a woman whose consciences are seared. But there's one more x-ray. And the x-ray is this. They've got a destined outcome. 
They've got a path that that disease is going to take. There's spots and their blemishes. They'll shipwreck your church. They've got defiled consciences. But there's a progression to this disease of false teaching. And the progression is they've got an outcome that God has already destined for them. You know, I had some, this is profoundly wise and I'm going to offer it to you. Somebody gave it to me. I'm offering it to you. He says this. One reason that he reads books that were written by dead saints is simply because these men and women endured in the faith until the end. They did not turn against Jesus. Their words could be trusted. Listen, if you're going to follow after the writings of men and women in Christ and in the church, listen, make sure you're following after the right ones. Because there's a lot of pastors and there's a lot of teachers that were once bright spots in their pulpits, but became dark spots of cancer in the church. And I'm not referring, listen, I'm not referring to church leaders who stumble into moral sin. I mean, all of us, all of us sin. I sin grievously. There are ways that I have potential to stumble. That God forbid by His grace, I'm not going to. But listen, I'm not referring here to men and, and women who stumble in moral ways. I'm talking about leaders who fall away into heresy. And it's heartbreaking when it happens. And like cancer, it's usually a long process of deception. And they're, they're deceiving their, their own selves before they deceive others. I don't know if you've heard of Carlton Pearson. Somebody in the church, in our church, gave me a book to read. A book that he's written called The Inclusive, or called The Gospel of Inclusion. Here's literally what that means is everybody's welcome, everybody's in. Inclusion versus exclusion. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're Hindu, it doesn't matter if you are a Buddhist, it doesn't matter if you are actively living in a gay lifestyle, it doesn't matter any of that, it's you're in. The Gospel of Inclusion, the Carlton Pearson Wrote, listen, you gotta know something about this guy. He was once a rising darling among Pentecostal churches. He had a church of thousands. Until he wrote that book. And people began to leave and it went from $60,000 a week in his offering, supporting a mega site building down to just a few thousand and only a few hundred people coming until he lost the building. Here's what he writes in that book. I quote, I chose to unveil my heartfelt truth. You, you like that? Listen, this is how you discern. If you're ever hearing me telling you about my heartfelt truth that I'm preaching, you've got to have an, an antenna start to wiggle. It's not about Tim Ackley's truth. It's about God's truth. But I chose to unveil my heartfelt truth that everyone on the planet was already saved by the sacrifice of Christ, but just didn't know it. It, if, if, it, it. Everybody's saved. Everybody's included. Even, he says, quote, Hitler's going to be in heaven. And what motivated him, now this is the part I want you to see. What motivated him to abandon orthodox theology... 
to go completely against it and begin to write and preach and speak that everybody is going to be saved because of Christ's death on the cross, whether you believe in him or not. What motivated him? Watch this video and you'll see. And I said, God, God, I don't know how you can call yourself a loving God and allow these people to suffer so much and then just suck them into hell. And I heard, I believe it was the Spirit of God saying, is that what you think we're doing? You heard this voice? Yes, sir. And I said, that's what I've been taught. God, I can't save this whole world. And that's when I heard that voice say, precisely, that's what we did. And if you tell them that they are redeemed, you wouldn't create those kinds of problems. Can't you see they're already in hell? Are you picking that up? Are you discerning? Because you're going to hear this over and over and over from false teachers. Why they're teaching what they're teaching, God gave them personal revelation. God spoke personally to them. When God begins to speak personally to you in a way that he has not spoken through his word, that is not from God. And when he was asked, now he was asked by that interviewer, what about Bible verses that undermine your argument? Here's what he said. The Bible is paper and ink and it shouldn't be an idol. In other words, he's saying, listen, this is, you, you can't put your confidence in this. Let me tell you what God spoke to me to tell you. My authority is over this authority. That's the way it works in almost every case of false teaching. They lower the authority and the centrality of God's word. They center on their own revelation. Look what uh, Jude writes, verse 13. They're wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Stars don't wander. So what's in view here are shooting stars that appear for a moment, blaze across the night sky, and they're gone. And the picture, by the way, you got to get this, the picture is taken from a book that was popular in Jude's day called the Book of Enoch. I mentioned it a few weeks ago. And in that book, stars are depicted as angels. And a wandering or a shooting star was taken to be a disobedient angel who left their appointed orbit and were being destroyed by God. These are rebellious angels according to the book of Enoch. Now, of course, I don't believe that. I don't think you believe that. But I'm just telling you what they believed at the time. So Jude is referring on folk tales that they had in their day. And he's applying this tale to false teachers. And he's saying this. Listen, you sailors at night, you're going to fix your navigation on these wandering stars. They're going to take you off course. And their future is... Secure should they not repent. And here it is. For whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Now, if you're a fan of Rob Bell, if you read his books, if you've read it, if you've read Hell, um, what's it actually called? Love Wins. If you've read that book, which I have, then you'll hear him define the word forever because it could be defined in the Greek language two ways. Here's one of them. It could mean a very long time. That's true. It can. Forever can mean in the Bible a very long time. He says that's what it means that when they're re- for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Rob Bell saying it's going to be a long time, but eventually God will bring them out of hell and into heaven. 
But that's just one way the word could be defined. The more popular and the more prevalent way the word is defined is not for a long time, but forever and ever without end, utterly without end. In fact, Jesus teaches us this himself. Matthew 25, he says, And these will go away into eternal darkness, but the righteous into eternal life. It's the same word forever. Just different translation in the ESV. So listen, if you think it's just for a very long time, then what you've got to do is say that hell and heaven are both temporary. And I don't know anybody that's preaching that heaven's temporary. But you can't teach that hell's temporary and that heaven's not because Jesus uses the same Greek word to describe the nature of both of them. Remember, what we're doing in this series, we're trying to discern, Jude is helping us discern, what does false teaching look like? The first x-ray that he puts up on the backlit wall of the gospel is you got to look for dangerous spots. They're going to shipwreck your church. And you've got to observe their dangerous deceptions. Their promises are empty. And you've got to discern the fruit of their defiled consciences because their shame will be foaming up like the wild waves of the Dead Sea. And you've got to understand their destined outcome. God will remove them into darkness. So what do we need to do, friends? We've got to be governed with love. We've got to be armed with biblical knowledge. And we've got to speak to these people. We've got to pray for them. And if you've got friends that are following the, these teachings, and listen, we've got people in our church that think Joel Osteen's God's gift to the American church. Listen, I am troubled by that. Oh, you're just jealous because he's got a 46,000. I don't want a big church. That's why we multi-sided. If we wanted a big church, we would have mega-sided. That was the original vision. We said, no, let's keep congregations small. It's not about wanting a big church. It's about wanting to live life on life. You do it best and multi-siding. Joel Osteen's a heretic. He, he tells you there's more than one way to, to God. Christ is one. And he tells you that you've got the power to create your day. Through the words that come out of your, your mouth. That's word faith. That's called positive confession. And we've got to be discerning enough not to condemn Joel Osteen. I'm bringing him out for you to see. Don't follow his teachings, but pray for him. Pray that God will show him the truth. Because he's got a lot of people that he can influence. Amen.